This message entitled Perspective on Persistence was delivered to Christ our Rock Bible Church on February 19th, 2023 by the Reverend Roy D. Warren Jr. The scripture reference is John 11. Perspective on persistence. A perspective on persistence. Praise God. It's all going to be found in John chapter 11, and I'll be sharing different parts of that along the way through the time. Okay? Praise God. Father, I want to thank you, dear God, for this day, to be able to share your truth. I do believe that this is a very powerful story. It has so much in it, dear God, about just who you are. I mean, if we're looking to find out who Jesus is, here he is. Hallelujah. He stands at the at the end of that, that uh, sepulcher, that cave perhaps, and, and, and yells out, Lazarus, come forth. And the crazy thing is, he does. It just that most people would look at that and go, well, that's nuts. That's not really going to happen. It did. It did. Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. And that's because Jesus is God. That's because Jesus is doing God's will. And God raised him from the dead. Praise the name. Glory be to God. I do pray, Lord, that you'll be upon this time today as we delve into this story, uh, and you will have all of the glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Somewhere just this morning, and I'm not quite sure where it was. Maybe it was one of these devotionals I was talking about, but I was just reading the sentence there. Kind of said the same thing. Kind of said that too. That there is a, you know, we have our problems, we have our issues, we have our illnesses, we have we have a lot of things that come our way. Stuff going on with family and hardships and problems and so forth. Okay, but if we don't let God have the time to deal with. crucial to see. I don't know where I saw it. It was something just this morning. It was just this morning. Maybe it's in that little devotional book and I was looking through it a little bit. Maybe it's there. I don't know. But we've got to be careful that we're not always trying to get out of our problems. No, God, take this away. Take that away. Take all these things away. What if God wanted to use it? You know? What if God wanted to use it to grow you? You see what I'm saying? And
college student was home on spring break and was walking with his girlfriend, his sweetheart, who was the uh, farmer's daughter in the area, okay? And they were walking down a country lane on a beautiful spring afternoon. Look at the pretty flowers, the girl said. Look at the pretty flowers. And at that, the young man jumped over the fence to pick some of the flowers for his sweetie. And just then, he spotted a huge, mean-looking bull just a short distance away. So he asked the girl, rather quickly, is that bull safe? Yes, she replied. In fact, I'd say he's a lot safer than you are right now. <laughs> Perspective. We talked about this a little bit last week. I was just kind of amazed how this next story with Lazarus brings that all up again in our thinking. Perspective. How are we seeing it? How do we understand it? Praise the Lord. So we're looking at perspective specifically on the topic of persistence. All right. So let's take this perspective first. The uh, last week we saw the greatest encouragement in the faithfulness of the first disciples, uh, and then the greatest discouragement, of course, comes in. Thousands of people that were following him just kind of walk away with it. And that's when Jesus turned back to his original disciples and said, what about you guys? Are you guys going to take off on me? Are you guys going to discourage me to no end? By just walking away, not wanting what I've been trying to give you here for these months and years. Question was, and I mentioned this at the outset, but is it really? Is it really a discouragement when you know God's in the middle of it? Like Jesus knew who it was that would not follow him, and he also knew, the Bible says, who was going to betray him. So is it is it honestly a, a discouragement for him to have that happen? And I don't think so. Because he knows his father is in control. He knows God is in control. Glory be to God. All right? Okay, I think you probably see where I'm headed with this. Um, these thousands of people didn't want Jesus living within them. Remember he said, you eat my body, you, eat my, you drink my blood, and they took it all to mean like cannibalism or something. This guy's whack. We can't some stupid idiot who doesn't know what's going on at all. He's got to have a reason for saying that. Okay? And, and later on, he would go ahead and say that when he's with his disciples in that upper room, and he says, this is my body, which is given for you. This bread, which is given for you. This juice, which is poured out for you. Okay? This, this is amazing thing. 
Jesus was participating in it. Praise the Lord. So he turns to the 12 disciples and says, what about you guys? What about you guys? Now before we come into Lent, uh, and we're real close to it, this is the last Sunday of the season of Epiphany. We've been looking at these things to see how conspicuous Jesus makes himself. We've been talking about this for weeks now. Okay? And this is the last one before we come into the Lenten season. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, uh, but we will be gathering for the first time to have a service on Sunday. So that would be the first Sunday of the season of Lent. Did I say Advent earlier? <laughs> I'm sorry. Lent. Okay? Let's see how death gives way to life. That's what Jesus is saying. Death has to give way to life. And that's going to happen through a fellow by the name of Lazarus, who got sick and died. And Jesus was made aware that he got sick, and he decided not to go right away. Looks callous, looks rude, looks like, you know, come on, Jesus, your buddy, your friend, you got to get going. No, there's a plan here, people. There's a plan. You're not going to see God as resurrection life unless he dies. Just healing him from his sickness, taking away his cough, is not going to do it. It's got to be resurrection. And so everybody else, or I won't say everybody else, there's a lot of people who just insist on something Got to have another way. So what's the big thing nowadays? Oh, reincarnation. Oh, yeah. We just go ahead and go back to, you know, becoming something else. You know? A lot of people look at that and they think, oh, that'd be great. I'll tell you what, the people in India and, and over in those areas where that's a big deal, uh, they're not looking at it quite that way. For one thing, they know they're probably not going to come back as a human being. They're probably, if they're going to come back, and they're not going to come back because there is no such thing. But, you know, they come back as an ant, come back as a slug, as a worm. You come back as a lot of things. It doesn't have to be a person. Okay, so you had, your, you had your closest shot when you just died. You know, these people that believe in reincarnation. That was probably your closest shot. You probably never will come back as anything like that again. <laughs> and you're not going to come back like anything like that again because it's not even true made up. It's made up by people who don't want to believe Jesus when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen? Alright. John 11. Look at John 11. First few verses. Watch this. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany. Lazarus by the day, by the way, uh, is actually in the original language means God is my helper. God is my so Lazarus of Bethany, where they often stayed, with him and his two sisters, Mary and her sister Martha. Okay? In verse 2 it says, And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Literally meaning feeble, impotent, diseased. He's got a serious problem, Jesus. You've got to run right over here and take care of this. And when Jesus heard that, 
He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. You see what I'm saying? We, we take away the glory of God when we insist on our problems just going away. God is wanting to reveal himself. See? Make himself conspicuous. Make himself obvious. Okay? That's the glory of God. And that the Son might be glorified thereby. Because if the Father is glorified, so is the Son. Amen? Death is not the purpose. Life is the purpose. Okay, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay? So you would think that he would jump right on the, you know, get a taxi or something and get, get over there and take care of this thing. But he doesn't do it. Okay? When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Stayed two more days. That's really taking a risk, Jesus. You know, if he's really sick, he could die in the meantime. And then what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Then what are you going to do, Jesus? Raise him from the dead. Praise God. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. And his disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late, in other words, recently, they sought to stone you. And you want to go there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he doesn't stumble. See, the idea is you've got enough light to not stumble in the daytime. But when you try walking at night, you can't fall. You can't stumble. Because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, that's when he stumbles. Because he has no light. Okay? No light in him. These things said he, and after that, he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus. In other words, we are in this thing together. You disciples, Mary and Martha, Lazarus, me, we're all in this thing together. Okay? So I'm going to go that I may awake him out of sleep. Now, the original language, the word sleep means spiritual stupor. Spir spiritual stupor. Okay? We're going to wake him up out of He's not just, you know, he's not just sleeping and he's not just dead. God's about to get him back up again. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 12. Oh, the uh, sleep, the definition. Uh, put to sleep, to slumber, figuratively to be caught by a disease. And that's what happened. He was caught by a disease. And, and so if he's sleeping at all, you know, you know that, he's getting his rest. Okay? And that's what they thought he was talking about. You know? So if he's sleeping, then he'll be able to get up again. He'll be able to be okay. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. See what they're saying? He's getting his rest. He's getting his sleep. So this is good, Jesus. This is good. Okay? He'll get better. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, not getting better, but his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. Okay? You see, with the people around Jesus, both Mary and Martha and the disciples, they needed the mind of Christ. And you know what that says about us? <laughs> we need the mind of Christ, too. 
Amen. We need to hear what Jesus is really talking about. Instead of getting after him. Because like, well, Mary and Martha, they do that, you know. When Jesus finally comes, all of you had only been here. You know, you don't get it, do you, lady? You don't get it, what I'm about to do. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Red letters, all right here, all of them, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. See, he's got to die in order for you to believe that I am the resurrection. He's got to die. Right? This is not just resuscitation. Okay? This is resurrection. You know, and a lot of, nowadays, if people are talking about, yeah, so-and-so died, and they were dead for five minutes or whatever, and they came back to life. Um, you know, let's not be too quick with all that stuff. You know, the fact is, you're dead, you're dead. Okay? And resuscitation, that's not the same thing. That's not resurrection. And that, then look at Thomas. Look at verse 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, which means twin, and I told you before when we talked about him that it could mean that he had a twin in the disciples, that another guy was his brother, his twin brother. It could be. It doesn't say that, but he says he was called Didymus because he was a twin, okay? But he also has at least a, a twin perspective. And Jesus is trying to get us to called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, he said, let us also go that we may die with him. In other words, Thomas is saying, we are in this thing together. So let's go ahead and go all the way and let's go die with him. This sounds a far cry from after Easter when he won't even go and see Jesus. He won't even go with the other disciples. Even when they say, we saw the Lord. Well, unless I see him with my own two eyes. Unless he jams his hand into my side. Or I jam my hand into his side. You know, etc. You know, I won't believe. I'm not going to believe. See, he played around with unbelief far too long. Far too long. Let us go that we may die with doesn't sound like he's really willing to die with him come Easter. <laughs> but praise God, when he sees what's really going on, what does Thomas say? Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And he knows for a fact that Jesus is alive. Not just resuscitated. Not just reincarnated. Raised from the dead. Amen? Crucial. Absolutely crucial. Finally, Jesus makes it clear. Jesus, or Lazarus, is dead. Okay? A lot of people think it's not a bad thing to go ahead and be neutral about stuff. You know, you hear a lot about bipartisanship. You know, where everybody, got to work together. Gotta do that. Yeah, well, what if the other people are wrong? What if the other people are saying, 
do you join in on all of that? Uh, tolerance is the word of today. And it's a very much admired posture in our postmodern culture. But God does not admire neutrality. In fact, he does not recognize neutrality at all. The greatest example of that, by the way, probably goes back to World War II, where Switzerland refused to take a side. We're not going to go with Germany. We're not going to go with the Allies. Okay, We're going to be neutral. Well, how'd that, how'd that go for them? God does not recognize neutrality at all. He clearly states that all those who are not for him are by default against him. Jesus said, he who does not gather with me scatters. I don't think it would be any clearer than that. Satan is a strong man whose house is this world. And he counts on as his possessions many who live here. When you and I try to stand alone against this rebel king, this Satan, we are sorely mismatched. You're not going to win. If you just, you against the devil. And that's what a lot of, um, I don't know what you call it exactly, but there's a whole lot of uh, warrior mentality in the church. You know, we just got to get out our swords of the spirit and we're going to start hacking heads off and so forth and so on. They miss the point. They miss the point. You're not going to beat Satan. You're not going to beat Satan. Okay? Satan is far greater than we are, but he's not far greater than Jesus. Amen? You have the heart and the life of Jesus, and Satan can still fall. Okay? We are displaying what God calls the pride of life. There is a stronger one who has come and overthrown this rebel king. If Satan rules now, it is only by theft. And Jesus said so. The guy that you know climbs into the sheepfold and steals a sheep, the only way he got a sheep was to steal it. It didn't belong to him. He doesn't deserve it. Okay? The only way Satan's going to get anything now is by theft, not by Jesus Christ is a stronger man who breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. He has overthrown Satan. Satan is not going to win against him. He can win against you, but he can't win against him. So you keep living your life in the life of Christ, and Jesus has the victory, not Satan. Amen? Even so, there are some who wish to remain neutral. Take sides. I don't want to go you know, bipartisan. You gotta, you know, you gotta do what everybody wants to do. Okay? They're, they're tipping their hats to God by attending church occasionally and adopting certain religious rules. But in truth, their agenda is still their own. That's why they're there. Their agenda is still their own, and they are not God's. That is belonging to God, not physically God, but belonging. You see, you can't be 90% faithful. Your husband or wife would not put up with it. Well, I'm 90% faithful. Not going to work. Not going to work. Your mate would not tolerate that, and your Lord doesn't tolerate it either. 
you are either for him 100% or you are against him. It's just the fact of the matter. You can't face both ways. Amen. You can't face both ways. Now it's up to Jesus. Lazarus has died. Would death ultimately win? I guess that's the question. Look at verse 17. John 11, verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain, that is, Lazarus had lain in the grave for four days already. Okay? Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, that it was, it was close, about two miles away. It says 15 furlongs in the King James, but it's about two miles. Okay? And Lazarus was surely dead. Surely dead. Four days now. And many of the Jews came to Mar Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Comfort means to relate to or to be near to, to encourage. And then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Martha sat still in the house. So it was just, I mean, Mary did. And so Martha's the one that comes running out. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection. Jesus is the great I am. God said that to Moses in the first place. Remember, Moses wanted to know God's name because he's going to go to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's going to want to know God's name. So God told him, I am who I am. I am the great I am. And Jesus says here, in a very crucial moment, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And people look at that and they think, oh, come on now. You know, everybody's going to die. You know, what do you mean never die? Never stay dead would be another way to see it. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Amen? So you don't die. And she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Hallelujah. But, by the way, that's a lot to believe. <laughs> that's a lot to believe. And I'm not putting her down and trying to suggest that she didn't really believe that. No, that's what she believes. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is saying it will be life to win out. It may be as dark as death 
And that's what it looks like. Lazarus is dead. What are you going to do about that, ladies? Lazarus is dead. But that will ultimately be conquered. Because within minutes, he's going to come walking out of that tomb. Praise the Lord. That's when it happened. Look at verse 28. Okay? Get a little background stuff uh, finished up here, and then we'll get right to it. You ready? 28. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister. We've only seen Martha so far. So calls her secretly, saying, the master has come, and he's calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town. He was still a ways out, okay? But was in the place where Martha met him, okay? And the Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary, that she rose and, and was, was hastily moving on, went out, followed her, saying, she goeth unto the grave to weep there. She's going to grieve. She's going to the very doorstep of death. Going right to the edge of the grave. Now this Jesus, we already know he cared much for Lazarus, but we also know She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, so that she had a following besides, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Laid means they, they laid him utterly prostrate. He was committed to death. He was given to death. And Jesus had already said it, Lazarus is dead. So it doesn't look real hopeful. Except that Jesus is there. <laughs> Amen? And then the shortest verse in the entire Bible Verse 35, Jesus wept. This weeping refers to a, a bursting into tears, a sobbing. This is not just he got a little emotional. You know, tears are running down his cheeks, so he wipes it away and gets his composure back. That's not it. That's not it at all. He burst into tears. He was sobbing. And, and a lot of people assume it's because it was his He's crying over his dead friend, and he's trying to help these two sisters whom he loves too. And and he's you know, but he's he's just weeping. I don't believe it's for that reason. I don't believe that at all. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. See, they all thought, look how much he loved them. Look at the way he's crying over him. 
See, some of them said, could not this man have opened the eyes of the blind? Who has opened rather the eyes of the blind? Couldn't he have caused that this man would not have even died in the first place? See, there's still a blaming of God going on by the Jews. All right? The fact is, Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to be alive within three or four minutes. He's not weeping for his lost friend. He is not weeping for Lazarus. He is weeping because the Jews, who should know better by now, don't. He's weeping because they, they should have recognized him as the Son of God, like his own disciples did, but they didn't. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, he comes to the grave. And it says it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. So it was, it was etched out of a, um, a cave, probably, you know, they cleared a lot of stuff out of it, probably, and had this, probably a stone table, I would imagine, uh, you know, there for him to lay on. And uh, he's dead. There's no doubt this guy's dead. And Jesus said, take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of him that was dead, no doubt he was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he's going to stink. He stinketh. That's what it says in the King James. It's going to be strong, ill odor. It's going to really smell. Four days. Better be careful with this, Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou wouldst see, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Didn't I tell you that? If you just let your problems be in the hands of Jesus, your hardships, your problems, your sicknesses, whatever, let it be in the hands of Jesus and you're going to see the that's what it's saying. But what is it? But what does so much of the church do? Oh, we've got to get rid of this thing. And the prayer request, of course, is that it be gone and this thing will be over and, and everything will be fine and hunky dory and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm sorry, but that's not biblical. What's biblical is you put it in the hands of Jesus and you let him have it. Amen? And if he wants to go ahead and take it away, in short order, he'll do it. He wants to take a long order to do it, he'll do it. Okay? Because he knows what's going to bring him glory. And then they took the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew that thou hearest me always. I, I knew that, God. But because of the people which stand by, I said it that they might believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried. Not wham wham. He yelled out, cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And you know what that means literally from the Greek? <laughs> Get this. It means Lazarus here, outside. Don't stay in there. Nobody can see you there. You could be alive and well in there and people wouldn't know it. Lazarus, come here. 
outside where people can see you. Here outside is literally what come forth means. And he that was dead came forth, watch this, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. So he's like wrapped up. He's got the shroud on, you know, and it's all around him. Can't hardly move, but he starts to come out. And Jesus saith unto them, he talked to this is to the other people that are standing by. He says, loose him. let him go refers to allowing him to depart. It's going to allow him to actually not only get up from that tomb, but walk out. If you lose him. If you, if you let him go. Lose him and let him go. Hands free to free his hands. In other words, they need to recognize that they played a role in this thing too. They need to help him get free from the things that were holding down, from the things of death. Now he's alive, okay, so he's not still dead, but he's got the dead clothes on. He's got the he's got the shroud. He's got the napkin over the face. His, you know, hands are all wrapped up in his in the shroud thing. Hands free to free his hands. Praise the Lord. Unbind him. Untie him. Unshackle him. Loose him. Allow him to depart. Praise the Lord. Lazarus, come forth. Years and years ago, contemporary Christian singer,
dead as a doornail. But praise God, Jesus said life instead of death. Amen? Praise God. I want you to ask yourself, have you noticed that it can take 30 minutes or less to get outside the will of God? And sometimes it can take you 30 years or more to get back to the place where you were before sin or death invaded your life. So Jesus is saying, come on out of there. Get rid of the death clothes and be alive. When you lose spiritual ground, when we retreat before the enemy, when we revert to our old ways, sometimes it's kind of tough to get back. Because if, if Lazarus just thought for a moment and thought, you know, I was dead. And, I, and I, I've been dead for days. How am I possibly going to come out looking alive? That's why Jesus said, come here, outside, so everybody can see. Okay? Praise God. We may confess. We may make restitution. We may start all over again with a clean slate. But somehow we don't feel the presence of God like we did before because we just spent four days in death, we just spent four days not alive. So how do we come back from that? Because that's got to be one of our questions. How, how, I mean, it would be one of our questions. How do I come back from this thing? Do you remember way back in the Old Testament, Joshua experienced the same thing? Well, it's a different, different story. Same idea. He led Israel to a great victory. Remember this? He led Israel to a great victory. What? They marched around shouted, and so forth, and the, and the walls came tumbling down. I mean, the city is destroyed. And God's people suffered a crushing defeat in the next battle, in the town of Ai, when the sin at the root of that defeat was exposed. Joshua dealt with it. Remember what happened? Achan had taken some stuff that he wasn't supposed to take. Nice Babylonian garment and some stuff, you know, it was worth some money. So he took it, he buried it in the center of his tent, he piled a bunch of stuff up on top of it, and so forth. The sin at the root, that's the root of that defeat. God knew there was sin in the camp. So he brought this family forward, and they said, no, not in that family. He brought this family forward, and finally they found somebody in that family that was a part of this, or a part of the family. And then, you know, and then it went on from there, and they narrowed it down to Achan. And Achan finally then he humbly received instructions on how to win back the city. Joshua did it, by the way, it's not Achan. Uh, won back the city that he had just lost. It was nothing like the way he won Jericho. See, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people try to take a cookie cutter, and God's got to do it this way, and God's got to do it this way, because he always did it that way. Because it's, you know, he did this at Jericho, so that's the way it's got to go for every city after that. No, 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 no. It's up to God. He wants to do it differently. He can do it differently, and he did. Now, one day is just not like the next. One victory does not become the prescription for all victories. God is multi, what, multitasking? <laughs> He's good at that. He can do a lot of things at one time. He doesn't have to do whatever everybody thinks 
did it this way before, he's got to do it again. Not only did God have a plan for the recapture of Israel's lost ground, but he had a word of tender encouragement to this defeated leader, Joshua. Do, you do not fear or be dismayed, he told Joshua. Defeat is no cause for fear and is no cause for depression. We will experience defeat in the Christian life, but it is not intended to be permanent. Not intended to be permanent. It is only a temporary setback if you'll go God's way with it. Even when a Christian loses the battle, loses the battle, okay, loses, okay, is God, as it turns out, has won the war. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Defeat is not intended to be permanent. I suppose you could let it be permanent and just be defeated all your life about stuff. But that's not what God intends. He'll let you go through a defeat because he wants to encourage you. In a sense, it's like encourage you with discouragement. You know? Show you what... If you went this road and you went it constantly, that's what you'd get, be getting into, Joshua. That's what you'd be getting into. But you're not going to do that. You, you saw Jericho fall and you saw Ai be taken. So you know that God can do it different ways. Praise the Lord. In fact, the end result can, can actually go either way. One last, one last thought, one last illustration. In his book, The Magnificent Mind, Gary Collins tells a story of a fellow by the name of Phineas Gage. Gage was working as a mining foreman in September of 1848 when an accident occurred that changed his life forever. As he leaned over to look down into a blasting hole, some dynamite exploded prematurely, and it propelled a 13-pound three-foot-long tamping rod into his cheek, through his brain, and out the other side of his skull. It went through him like a missile, but he never lost consciousness, even on the long trip to the village doctor. I mean, he didn't even have a big fancy hospital to go to. Just go to the doctor. Something passed through my head, he told the doctor. Something did. And as he was examined, the doctor could put his fingers into the hole of Gage's skull. For several weeks, Gage had headaches. An infection set in, in the wound, clearly taking his life, or nearly rather taking his life. But in two or three months, he was actually back to work, in the mines, believe it or not. Except his personality had radically changed. Where once he was prompt and courteous and patient, he was now rude and discourteous and impatient. And the people who knew him best would say, Gage is no longer Gage. 
somehow the rod that passed through his brain had changed his personality. I mean, we all wish, and probably they wish it had been the other way around, that he had been a jerk through the early part of his life, but now this thing changed him, and he was, you know, patient and nice and encouraging and everything else. He was a different man. See, it can go either way. You know, you can let it go the one way, or you can let it go the other way. And, and uh, for the rest of his life, he actually made a living as a circus freak. And when he died, his brain and the tamping rod were placed in the museum of Harvard Medical School. You see, the mind can be a pretty mysterious thing. I mean, first of all, at first sight of this thing happening, you would have sworn this guy would die. How could he possibly live through this thing? There's a battle going on in this world, and it's not for territory like, you know, Ukraine and Russia and all of that kind of stuff. And that's not even for territory. That's ego. You know, that's terrorism. The way this battle is won is for us to allow every thought to be taken captive to the obedience of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Doing that requires both Inclusion and exclusion. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Inclusion and exclusion. Okay? That someone attacks you in some area of your life, saying slanderous things about you, you could counterattack, which most of us, I suppose, might be prone to do, or we would maybe want to do at least, or you could say it yourself. You could say to yourself, that particular thing is not true that I'm hearing people say, but there are many things in my life which are much worse than that, and so I'll let it go at that. And then you dismiss the person's attack and you walk away from it. That's called exclusion. But exclusion alone doesn't always work. We must apply the law of inclusion as well. And it kind of works like this. Instead of focusing your mind on your anger or your sense of injustice on being wrongly accused, you focus instead on the positive values of God. You just think about the Lord and how good he is, how great he is. Amen? My mind is full of truth. These thoughts come and you say, I'm sorry, I don't have room for this negativity. My mind is full of truth and faith righteousness and biblical principles and I am seeking to have the mind of Christ. Our every thought may not be Christian but Christ can take every thought captive. You see, it can really go either way and I think it boils down to perspective. Lazarus, come forth. Really, come out here so we can really see, really see what's going on. And from that, we will know we have a very great God because somebody raised you from the dead. See, they, they all believed back then that if it had been three or less days that he could have come back, like you're in a coma or something. And three or less days, you could, you know, slowly open your eyes and boom, you're back but when you go more than three days, you're dead, okay? And this was four days. 
praise God. You can go either way. And I think it boils down to perspective. Lazarus, come forth. Pick your perspective. And if it is God, if your perspective is going to be God's way of seeing things, then be persistent in that. See? The perspective of persistence. Praise the Lord. Father, I want to thank you here today, dear God, for this, this truth, Lord. Here's this man. He loved you. Mary Martha loved you. And now he dies. And you, out of your mercy and your grace, raises him up. Hallelujah. Raises him Jesus is God. He's assigned to everybody that God is in control. So here's Lazarus. Just died and rose again. And what do they try to do? They're going to try to kill him again. And that's kind of the way it is in the world. You just want it to go away. When actually God is allowing it to be there so that Jesus is precious.